So on my podcast, we've spent a lot of time talking about how to live a fulfilling life. And I thought it'd be fun to switch it up. I have a lot of experience working in tech startups and I've gotten feedback on sharing some stories or sharing some experiences or knowledge within that. So I thought it'd be just fun to talk about startups today. Specifically, I want to talk about why startups are hard, what game you're playing when you raise money from a venture capitalist, and what I would do differently if I were to raise money today. There are rules to this game, and I'll share some cheat codes on how to play them in today's market. So who am I? I'm most known for starting Skillshare and Otis. I've worked at two other startups that were acquired by Facebook and Adobe. I'm an Asian investor in companies like Notion, Polkadot, and Emmy Ramen. And my last two companies have raised over $200 million. So I have a ton of experience working in tech startups. It's no secret that startups are hard. But why are startups so hard? What makes them so difficult when you hear your friends talking about starting companies and why it's so difficult? And I think I have the answer. I give some thought to this. And the biggest reason is that luck and timing play such a huge factor. And when luck and timing play a huge factor in the success of a company, that's ultimately out of your control. We often hear about these startups in the 1990s that raised a lot of capital, you know, burned through it really quickly, but ultimately failed, and how those startups today have been extremely successful. This happened with Webvan in the 1990s. It was an online grocery delivery service that ultimately failed. But today, that business is now Instacart, which, as we all know, you just open up an app, you click a button, and next thing you know, you have delivery at your doorstep. So today, Instacart went public and is currently trading at about a $7 billion valuation. These are two identical ideas that were just executed decades apart. But what also makes startups hard? I think you have to get all the big decisions right. You won't know if those decisions will work for years down the road. For example, if you think that creating athletic greens for pets is a great idea, it might take you two to three years to see if it will really work. You would have to do the research, you have to build the product, you would have to start selling it, you would have to scale it, and you won't really know for a pretty long time. Yes, you can MVP it, you get some initial reads, but you won't really know if the bets that you're making today will really pan out. You won't really know if the decisions that you make today will pan out for many, many years down the road. And along the way, you have a lot of decisions. Should you pivot into a new direction because the market has shifted? Do you change the strategy, hoping for a better outcome? Do you stay the course, even though the data doesn't really look that promising? You have all these decisions that you have to kind of make, and you have to navigate this minefield of infinite decision to see if you're moving in the right direction. On top of this, you have to get hiring right. You have to hire the right people and you have to motivate them and get them on the same page. And you have to align not only the small team that you're working with closely, but the entire company. And that gets way more difficult as your company gets bigger. It's much easier when it's just two people in a room, building, executing, doing what they can. It's much more difficult when you have a couple hundred people and you need to align everyone to move in the right direction. You can get the strategy right, but if you get the execution wrong, then everything will fall apart. You can also get the strategy and the execution right, but the timing's off, it almost doesn't even matter. So this is why startups are hard. There are so many variables. There are an infinite amount of paths that you can take. And as a founder, a CEO, an entrepreneur, you have to navigate that to see if your company is gonna be successful. And for me, the hardest part of being a CEO and founder is managing your own psychology. Everything that you're doing is wrong, right? So you'll try 10 things, nine things will fail. You'll take that one thing that worked, you'll add it to your playbook. You'll try another 10 things, another nine will fail. 
You'll take the second thing, you'll add it, and you're doing this constantly day in and day out, month over month, year over year. Then hopefully you'll get like 20 or 30 things that are working. Along the way, everything is telling you that this idea is not supposed to work or not going to work. And you have to believe that it's going to work and you have to stay patient. But odds are really stacked against you. Most startups fail. I think 90% of startups that raise capital end up not working out. So it's really, really difficult. The odds are stacked against you. You have to manage your own psychology. You have to get all these factors right. And that's why startups are really hard. I would often describe running a high growth tech startup as pushing a boulder uphill. It just feels impossible. These are just some aspects of what goes through a founder's mind when they're building a company. But tied to that is raising capital. So essentially raising money for your company. Without capital, it's really hard to get started. But most people don't understand that when you raise money from a venture capitalist, you're signing up to play a very different game. And it's not to just build a business, it's to build a unicorn business. So a company that's worth a billion dollars or more. And in today's market, I think the bar has got lifted to about $10 billion or more. So it's not just about building a great, you know, it's not just about a great idea. It's about a great idea at the right time, executed very well with a lot of luck and timing for it to just explode. And in any given year, there are probably really only a handful of companies that meet that criteria. So Cowboy Ventures just put out their unicorn report. Today, there are only 532 unicorns. I was also curious about what is the probability of a company reaching a billion dollars or more. And based on what I found online, about one in 400 companies reach $10 million or more in revenue, and one in 6,300 companies will reach $100 million in revenue. I'm not sure where they really got these numbers, but directionally, it checks the boxes. And the point is, it's really hard for any company to become a unicorn. And to put it into perspective, there are only 450 NBA players, but building a unicorn is probably just as hard as getting in the NBA. And here's why. VCs are in the power law distribution game. So essentially, handful investments are going to drive the bulk of their returns. So I saw a couple interesting graphs. The first one shows that 97% of all extra profits come from 10 or less companies out of over 10,000 startups a year. Another research point I found, according to Horsley Bridge, for the hundreds of VC funds they invested in since 1985, about 6% of investment representing 4.5% of dollars invested generated 60% of the total returns. And that's the game that VCs play which is to find these unicorns, invest in them. They understand that most startups that they invest in won't be successful, but the ones that do will generate a 10,000x return. So what they're looking for is the next Tesla, the next Airbnb, the next Uber, the next OpenAI. But these are the type of companies they want to invest in because those are the companies that will drive all of their returns. So this leads to a key point. Not every company should raise money from a VC. You should only raise money from a VC if you have any shot at building a billion dollar business. Now let's talk about start fundraising. It's such a critical part of the process. And in 2024, I think the market is gonna change pretty dramatically. When I started Skillshare in 2010, we raised a $500,000 seed round at a two and a half million dollar valuation. I mean, the market was very different back then. Obviously valuations were, were much lower, but it was also really, really, really hard to get that round done. I remember when we were fundraising, nobody wanted to invest into ed tech. A lot of investors got burned in the 2000s from edtech companies that were trying to sell into traditional schools and colleges, and it was just too long of a process. Ultimately, a lot of those companies failed, and a lot of investors just had a really bad taste in their mouth 
from investing into ed tech companies. So we had a really hard time raising capital. I was also completely unknown, unproven. I, I did work at a couple tech startups that were successful, but I never really branched out on my own. I was still pretty young. I was 27 at the time. And nobody really wanted to invest into a founder that was unknown and unproven. And we didn't really have a working product. We had like an initial MVP. We had a thesis. We had a really compelling vision, but it was really hard to get the, the round done. But we got it done through just sheer persistence, a lot of luck. And I'll save that story for another day. But if you fast forward today, the fundraising climate has completely changed. We saw startups raising an insane amount of capital during the ZERP era. But with interest rates going up, we saw startups struggle to not only raise additional capital, but just to survive. And in 2024, I think there are going to be two types of companies that raise capital. The first is what I called hard tech, extremely difficult tech problems that require a lot of capital to get started, such as OpenAI, such as companies trying to solve nuclear fusion. And I think a lot of VC capital is going to go into that market. And then there's just everything else. I think everything else will get funded, but I just don't think it's going to be as easy as hard tech. The pendulum has swung from, let's say, building software to building really hard tech. And I think a lot of VC capital is going to go into that market. But here's what I would do if I were in either bucket. If I was building a company in hard tech, I would raise as much capital as possible. I would try to build a war chest. I would invest as much as I can in technology. I would overpay the best engineers in the world because you know, if you solve any of those really hard technical problems, the upside is just so high. If I were in, let's say, let's call it low tech, I would either raise no round or one round. For this episode, we can just skip the bootstrapping and no round and just focus on what I call the one and done round. So if I were to do it all over again, and I were to start a company this year, I was in my 20s or 30s, this was my first company, I would just do a one and done round. By raising one round, it just gives me the most optionality to take a multitude of paths without opting in to the VC game. And the reason is because you can raise one round from a bunch of angels. You can invest into yourself if you have the capital. But the whole point is to have the mentality that you're just raising one round. And if you're a first-time founder, you can accelerate a lot of your learning by having cash in the bank. You can build a team and pay yourself a salary. You learn how to also raise capital from investors. You learn how to build a product and ship it out the door. And then you just kind of accelerate not only your learning, but just momentum and progress with your company. I think by raising capital, you'll learn much quicker if your idea is going to work or not. You don't have to move really slow. These are all things that are very, very valuable, not just for validating whether your idea is going to work or not, but to just know that as fast as possible. So specifically, if I were to raise a one and done round, I would probably raise anywhere from a couple hundred thousand up to a couple hundred million. I think the sweet spot is priced somewhere between 500K and 2 million. That gives you enough capital to build a small team, ship a product, make some mistakes here and there, and it wouldn't be the end of the world. I would keep the team size to eight or less. Ideally, the smaller, the better. And I wouldn't sell more than 20 to 25% of the company. Ideally, you want that percentage to be as low as possible. But if you're a first-time founder, raising any amount of capital, I think is a huge win. I think with AI today, it's e becoming even faster and cheaper to build software. 
I would keep the team as small as possible until you figure out if you have product market fit. And, and this gives you a lot of optionality. You know, if the company takes off and you have lightning in a bottle, you can opt into the unicorn game. You can raise a series A and a series B and a series C and ride that once in a lifetime roller coaster and see how far you can take the company. If your company doesn't take off, that's totally fine. You can just shut it down and move on to the next thing. If your company has some traction and somewhere in the middle, which most companies will fall into, you can have a lot of options. You can continue to run it. You can sell it. You can do a multitude of things, but raising just, but raising the one and done round gives you all this optionality. And this is really important because a lot of the ideas that are really big today look like really dumb ideas or small ideas at the time. Great example of that is Airbnb. Who would have thought that renting out a spare bedroom in your house or your apartment would have become such a big business? Or Twitch, watching other people play video games, also pretty massive company. Both of these ideas just look like weird small ideas, but they ended up turning to big businesses. There's this famous quote from Chris Dixon, which reads, the next big thing always starts out being dismissed as a toy. So it's really hard to know what's going to take off and what will work, especially when you factor in luck and timing. But if you land on something that works, I would definitely take some money off the table. There's nothing more empowering when you're in your 20s than having some money in the bank. There's great advice of founders from Nikita that I read on Twitter, which reads, if an opportunity to exit presents itself where you would make enough to own a home, take it. Even if it's earlier than the expectations you set, life is a ladder. You should feel no guilt getting your feet on the first rung before making others even richer. It's counterintuitive. What most people do is be all in on their company. I'm going to let it ride. I'm taking no money off the table. I want this company to be as big as possible. I'm so confident that, that this company is going to be so successful. I'm all in. I'm not taking $1 out. And I've seen a lot of founders do that. And I've seen a lot of founders spend a decade working on a company and walking away with nothing. And that's just an unfortunate place to be. And a lot of those founders had so many opportunities along the way to sell the company, sell some of their shares, and they just opted not to. So I agree with Nikita. This is great advice I would give to all first-time or even second-time founders that haven't had their exit yet to take advantage of the opportunity. You don't have to sell all of your shares. You can definitely sell a portion of it, but I would definitely optimize for getting some liquidity. It's counterintuitive, but having money in your personal bank account allow you to become even more ambitious or to even take a much bigger swing. You're moving up the Maslow hierarchy of needs, and you're no longer operating from a scarcity mindset. I think there is a balance, right? It's just taking just enough to, let's say, put a down payment on your first condo, your first house. It might be having one or two years of expenses. It's not so much where you can retire early, but it's just enough where you have some financial security. Once you have that in place, I've seen a lot of founders get even more ambitious because, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Now they walk away with having, let's say, a million or two in the bank versus nothing. That's a really good asymmetric bet, right? Your downside is not that down, and your upside is a 10,000x return from there. And there are a multitude of ways that you can do this. You can do this by selling secondary shares, you can implement profit sharing, or you can sell the company outright if you realize that it's never going to become a unicorn. But by implementing the one and done round, you minimize how much you're raising. And if you keep the initial team small, you end up keeping a bigger percentage of the company for yourself. So let's say you sell the company for $10 million, which is very possible by breaking the $1 million in revenue mark. And it, let's say you own 50% of the company, you would walk away with $5 million. 
And then you could take another swing with your second company with experience that you built with your first. But if you raise, let's say, a big 10, $20 million Series A, you would have to sell your company for 10x or around $100 million for it to be worthwhile for investors. And selling your company for 10 million and 100 million is a massive difference. There are a lot more acquisitions at $10 million or less than there are at the $100 million range. And the pool of buyers at the $100 million range is very, very, very tiny. So if I were in my 20s, I would do the one and done round. I would be taking as many shots as goal as possible over the next 10 or 20 years. And I would take some liquidity and take some chips off the table if the opportunity ever presented itself. So to recap, here's what I would do. Number one, raise one round of capital somewhere between one and $2 million. I would use that money to hire a team and ship a product. And based on the traction, I would do one of three things. I would raise a series A and opt into the unicorn game. I would sell the company or number three, I would get to profitability, never raise again and implement profit sharing. If I decide to go with a VC route, I'm prepared to aim for high growth, high returns, high risk, and I understand the rules and expectations for that game. But these are the rules of the game cheat codes of how to play in today's market. I hope this was helpful. If you're thinking about starting a company in 2024, if you like this, please subscribe on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, and I'll see you in the next one.